Pushkin. Bon Iver started in 2006 as a solo project for Justin Vernon after the breakup of his college band. He recorded his first album in his dad's hunting cabin deep in the woods of Wisconsin. Just him, an acoustic guitar, a lot of fresh venison, and DVDs of Northern Exposure. Come on, skinny love, just lay singing. That debut got so big that within a few years of its release, Bon Iver was collaborating with people like Beck and Kanye West, which may help explain the shift in musical direction Bon Iver's music has taken. The palette of sounds has expanded a lot across four albums, and Bon Iver is no longer just a solo project either. It's still centered around Justin, but it includes a whole bunch of collaborators from Wisconsin where Justin still lives and is building his own Shangri-La-style recording studio. Surprisingly, Justin and Rick Rubin had never met until they recorded this podcast, despite their close working relationship with Kanye. It was a chance for them to get to know one another, discuss Justin's career, and chat about one of Justin's all-time favorite groups, the Indigo Girls. This is Broken Record Season 3, Liner Notes for the Digital Age. I'm Justin Richmond. Here's Justin Vernon and his producer Chris Messina in conversation with Rick Rubin. They dive right into the kind of talk producers love, about building a live-work studio space far away from the noisy world. Tell me about your place. I've heard great things about it. Well, uh, me and Chris have been working on it for many years. Um, it's, it's under construction right now because we kind of we hit a point where we needed to to spread out a little bit. Tell me the whole story of how it how did it come to pass? The house I grew up in, it's only three miles from there. And it's uh my brother found it and it's on t- ten acres, you know, super cheap and old it was an old like seventies ranch house and they had an indoor pool and they had a indoor uh, pool. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah, and we ended up making that our makeshift live room for many wow, years. So uh, cool. But it's not 10 acres in the woods, and it's like my shit, you know. Incredible. Yeah. And so, but we sort of did it DIY for a while, and then I found Chris and took him off of a, a production touring thing and, and got him out there to just basically make it proper. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, and, and so we've been kind of out of the DIY zone and more in like a trying to make a proper tracking space for about eight, seven years now. You've been out there, I guess, Chris. How, how would you say it changed from... It, it's DIY incarnation to the current one. I feel like more l- less stuff falls off the walls now, maybe or something. Yeah, <laughs> I'm not the one putting stuff on the walls. That's why. <laughs> yeah, I feel like there, we did like a lot of teeter tottering kind of before I got there, and then even still after I did, yeah. just baby steps when yeah. we really just needed to do one kind of big move. Yeah, but I think it's just been getting the recording spaces, you know, more attractive sounding, and then also improving all of the the wellness spaces and just the vibe of the place because that's you know, made a pretty good record with just a, a pretty cruddy studio. Yeah. And then it's because the vibe is there. 
you know, yeah. which obviously you, you understand yeah, pretty yeah, well. Yeah, absolutely. Ooh, yeah, and when I just lived there too. Like I lived there for many years until- Do you still or no more? I live in the guest house out back, which is cool, but I'm going to build a house next door actually. Um, just But just being in the studio and it not being set up for really being having like a home, va- home base or a really- a, I don't know, any kind of wellness vibe. It was just recording, making music, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So. We went through, like, the different iterations, too, of, like, not knowing if we wanted to be a commercial space or if we were going to be a private space or just Justin or, or what the deal was going to be. And yeah. so we went through all those different versions. To We had to do that to learn what we <laughs> didn't like, basically. Yeah. And it's really just better off to be kind of a friends and family zone and, and us. It's it's the best version of it. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. That's that's pretty much how we do it too. It's, yeah. um, and, and originally, I didn't I didn't think anyone else would work here, but but us. But then, I was away, and friend asked, "Oh, you think we could work here?" It's like, oh, that'd be cool. Uh-huh. Like, and so now I I like the idea because if so, because I've worked so much over the course of my life that it's like a way to trick myself into not being a workaholic. There you go. <laughs> that's a that we were just talking about that on the way out here. It's like. Man, it's like I love music so much, and yeah. I could do it every single day. Yeah, but uh, it's not a comfortable feeling when you're like, "Is this all I am?" Yeah, then you can get caught up in it. For it's easy too when you love something so much. But and I don't know if work with a capital W is really the name of the the thing that we do because we love yeah. it so much. But it is at the end of the day, it is what you're spending time doing, right? Absolutely, yeah. absolutely. And and for most of my life, it was in. You know, dark rooms with no window, dark little dirty rooms. Yeah. So, so most of my life was just like in in really unpleasant places. Yes, <laughs> it doesn't encourage you to be a healthy person all no. the time either. No, <laughs> and and I think so much of the inspiration of the work we do comes from not just doing the work. It's like right. the, the fuel that drives the process comes from life outside of the studio. Yes, <laughs> so. exactly. It's exactly the fuel has been my metaphor lately. It's like gas yeah. in the tank healthy engines you know everything's running on you know and music's beautiful enough to be inspired by only music but then that isn't it that's not a closed circuit right so yeah you got to go out and go to grandma's house or whatever it is do you call it a band yeah idea project band i don't know what it is was it a clear like tell me from the beginning how did it start that's actually an easier way to to answer it it's like you know, I was I was in a band with, with some of my closest friends and people that grew up learning how to play music around. And we sort of had that mid-20s sort of breakup, went our separate ways. And I was kind of considering not trying to make a career in music and maybe go back to school and all this stuff. But in that very moment um, is when I sort of started making the first songs for what would become Bon Iver. And I remember not having a name until I finished finished the album and I was watching Northern Exposure, that show from the early 90s. And there's this episode where the first snow falls in this little Alaskan town and everyone goes out and greets each other like, Bon Iver, Bon Iver. And I thought, well, that's a good thing. I mean, because that's kind of, that's, I've always been inspired by my, where I'm from yeah. and all that it lacks, uh, you know, everything that it lacks, it doesn't have that the other big cities in the world have. There, There's something I've always enjoyed about, uh, and keyed in about what what it's like to be from where I'm from, and how tough the winter makes you, and and how 
really nobody has the time and energy to prove anything to anyone else or something, uh, which can be very beneficial and, and have its drawbacks as well. But that's that's where it came from. So I thought this this Bonavere thing, it almost feels like a, a community, a town. Even though it started with just me, yes. I had this idea that it's like, it's going to be a town or a, a little town or a growing thing or a greeting or something. And and, it, and of course, at the end of the day, it's a band, it's an artist, it's a thing. And so I try not to be too precious about it, but that's how I still believe in it. And, you know, 11, 12 years later now, I guess it is, it it really has blossomed into a real breathing community with, with love and support and all the, everything. Beautiful. Yeah. Did you make the first album by yourself? Yeah. Tell me, tell me the story. Yeah, so I was I was living in North Carolina, and I'd started some of these things. And as the band kind of broke up, I, I sort of kind of hightailed it back to Wisconsin. I really lived in Wisconsin my whole life, minus that year and whatever amount of time I've been on the road. Um, but at that point, I'd never been on the road really before. I'd never really had any paying music work other than weekend bar gigs and guitar teaching. Uh, so I brought... I brought uh, my little Digi-01 Pro Tools rig uh, and my Mac G4 up to my dad's hunting cabin, kind of an hour north of where we where we grew up. And uh, he just kind of let me go in there. And I was like, Dad, I don't know what I'm doing. If I go back to school to be a music teacher, I'd have to wait to the fall. And this was right in the winter. And uh, so he just let me set up there. And I just had my little setup and a couple guitars. And, uh, and I'd done some engineering and some making some records before but I had kind of just lost some of the gear. And so it was a very, very meager setup, uh, which ended up being a really great thing. Um, and so over the over a, kind of a three-month period, just kind of being there by myself, unless my dad would stop by over the weekend to work on a sawmill or something, like I was just there um, letting myself be bored, allowing myself to do to have a day where nothing happened for the first time in my life and not have any guilt about it. It was just the first time I really, truly was on my own. Beautiful. Do you think of it as an enjoyable time? Yes. I mean, it, there were there was boredom. There was like sort of just sitting there, maybe an unhealthy amount of alone time or something like that. But I, I do, I look back at it as a very, very positive experience to to let go of a lot of things. To I was making it for myself. I had kind of given up on the idea of of chasing anymore. And of course, once you're once you're done with chasing. You're arriving. Yes, beautiful. beautiful. <laughs> Giving up on that idea. What would what would your days be like? Like what what if you're alone for three months? Yeah, uh, it was. Uh, I'd wake up and probably crack three eggs and some venison, you know, because we we do some hunting up there. Um, but there was a little TV up there and a DVD player, so I'd watch a lot of the Northern Exposure. And and strangely, it's my favorite. Like thing novel book show whatever of yeah. all time because it was just you know so there might be a day where i only watch dvds yeah you know um and you know smoke a joint and drink six beers for no reason or something mm -hmm. um but then then a day i would just wake up go sit on the computer stool and just be there in it yeah. you know we're reworking and mixing and doing that thing on that album yeah i wonder if I was thinking about growing up and the amount of boredom involved in, uh, you know, mm -hmm. get home from school and yep. what are you supposed to do? Yeah. It's like, what do you do? So I'm wondering if, if putting yourself in that state 
somehow taps into something that a lot of people feel more often than they realize. Like yeah. it's just a real, I mean, you did an extreme thing, uh, by, by regular standards in our, in our society. Yeah. But it took you to a place that's probably not so different than growing up in the United States. Yeah. <laughs> but with, without having anybody like get outside or yeah. you do this or you do that. Yeah. My parents gave me, my dad in this case gave me a very supportive experience or supported experience, I should say. Yeah. Um, and it was, it was that, that boredom was like, huh, you spend a lot of time being busy and overworked. And I just, I just recently had quit a job at a kitchen that had really created new anger and stress in my, in my mind and body, yeah. you know, never have I been that stressed or angry or overworked and. And so I think it was, I just sort of looked at it as like, well, I don't know what I'm doing. And I, I, I had, there was something going on with these songs where I was like, this is a new thing for me. Just, just keep working. And, uh, I think just, it was the correct, correct recipe to be in the right headspace to, to make the right kind of music. Did you, you toured the first album? Toured the first album pretty, a lot, yeah. you know? that kind of smashed me up a bit but not completely smashed me up and so we were making the second record by then i was using a lot of musicians you know i grew up playing in the jazz bands and i had a nine-piece band in high school too all my friends with horns and everything so it was a natural inclination to want to be around more people mm -hmm. um but what naturally happened is i started to share some of the the load of the songwriting and and but also very holding on really tight and um, I think, and, and this isn't a negative thing, but I think in many ways I, I've stepped farther and farther and farther back from the chief position yeah. of making the records. Um, and it's funny, after, after making this, these four records, I, I'm feeling like maybe a return to just hanging out on my own for a, for a year or something to get back to that place. Cause you know, I so often would grow up, play guitar and write a song, sit and write, write the song down. It, 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 it went from sort of that with the first record to almost none of that. Yeah. Um, with, with where we're at now in the last, you know, this, this process, this 10 years. And so I, I saw a lot of, a lot of the death of the ego in a good way. Yes. And then also, being lost because at times because i didn't have that connection to like what i knew was right when i was all by myself what i knew what i didn't have to answer to or you know like i didn't have chris like man that sucks or or that's really great either one are problematic answers for me yeah. uh sometimes when you're when you're oh, drifting farther back away from your your frontal ego yeah. um and so you know i i see that i see that happening in the last 10 years, that arc of sort of stepping back, getting the music bigger um, and and experimenting more and more. Um, I'm feeling like, you know, I can't predict what the next year is going to be like, but I'm feeling like a little bit of a return to that. Interesting. That, that place that's coming up kind of yeah. soon. Is the hunting lodge still there? It is. Better than ever. <laughs> I get along with my dad so well, but I don't think it's the, it would be the same really? situation. He's he's built a big barn. He's got a sawmill, and he's got like 400 maple trees tapped up there. And so he's always got people around. And mm. and plus, we've sort of we've sort of made April Base into into that zone, even though um, we're not quite. I don't quite have my own room yet. We're working on that, but that's in the next year. Or so we'll be right back after the break. 
marijuana, motorcycles, and mayhem. Deep Cover is a true story. It begins with an FBI agent going undercover in a biker gang, and it ends with, well, a war, a full-scale U.S. invasion. I'm Jake Halpern. I'm a journalist, and for this story, I've been to dive bars, horse farms, backwater swamps. I've talked to FBI agents, pirate reenactors, and a bunch of big-time drug smugglers. Listen to Deep Cover now in your favorite podcast app or at deepcoverpod.com. Brought to you by Pushkin Industries. Hey there, I'm Ashley Ford, host of the Chronicles of Now podcast. Chronicles of Now commissions amazing authors like Roxane Gay, Colin McCann, Carmen Maria Machado, and Curtis Sittenfield to write short fiction inspired by the headlines. Each episode features a new work of fiction inspired by the biggest stories of our time, like what does COVID-19 do to our relationships? How do we make sense of climate change and extinction? And perhaps most mysteriously, what is going on with Trump's tweets? Because in such uncertain times, sometimes art, fiction, is the only way to make sense of it all. The show is great for fans of short speculative fiction, historical novels, podcasts that go behind the news, and narrative shows like Radiolab and The Moth. The Chronicles of Now is imaginative storytelling at its most compelling. Authors helping us understand our world. Subscribe in Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. Brought to you by Pushkin Industries. We're back with more from Boney Vare. There's a million things to ask you about the past, but for, yeah. for a moment, how how do songs typically start? Would you say you're do you jam? There's some improvisation in you know studio setting, like maybe not like instruments and stuff, but maybe some drum machines and just looking for odd uh, recipes that yeah. could create something very surprising is probably our favorite thing to do. Um, doing some just playing in general. I, I grew up writing a lot of songs on guitar and it sort of just stopped happening that way. And I've been playing a lot more guitar lately and songs are trickling out, but there's still this thing, I think as I've developed more as a singer than maybe I was before, where um, I really started to hone in on, on the voice part of it. I think I became less it became less important for me to write the song and be this songwriter person and more like how do we how do i get my voice on something that sounds interesting to my voice if you will yeah and so a lot of we do a lot of improvisation or butting two things together like have a saxophone go through a harmonizer while i'm playing it and singing it or just looking for things to to clash or to make something that sounded brand new so that it would be exciting to sing on um, that's been the main process, you know, and every once in a while, maybe just a guitar riff would, would plop in and, and create a song, uh, in and of itself. But I'd say that's our, been our biggest way of doing it is just looking for moments that, that seem magical. Yeah. And, and it sounds like mainly musical moments. So, you, so you'd be working on track ideas essentially, mm -hmm. um, with the idea, does it start with that feeling of this is interesting, or does it start with, this is interesting, I have, I can see what I would do on top? Uh, both. I mean, every every time's different. Every time's different. Um, and sometimes just something sounds good, so you want to keep it around, but you're like, well, this isn't really going to be for this project. So um, 
we we don't know what to do with those ones exactly. I feel like the 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 two generally for us go go hand in hand. It's like when we hear something that we've somehow come up with that sounds really interesting, Justin immediately wants to sing on it, and yeah. that's like okay, we're we're into something here. That's kind of the biggest giveaway that we're onto something. Um, yeah, I might like a lot of things, and but could, if I don't have anything to sing on it, yeah. it, it's sort of like, well, maybe we should give this to someone else. Yeah, <laughs> and like, and any like, whenever you try and get him to sing on something, it's like not a good, not a good vibe. I it mean, comes it, very, it comes very, it's it springs forth. Yeah, yeah absolutely. <laughs> when it's there, it's there, and when it's yeah, not, yeah. it's really not. I think with the with the previous record, twenty two million, we did a lot more jamming. I mean, great, granted, it was over like a period of five years that we were writing that record or something, but. There were some pretty extensive, long, multi-person jams that would happen that we got some stuff out of, but that was kind of a way where Justin, I think, was maybe struggling with with trying to get his songwriting going again. That was a way for us to do it. It was bringing a lot of people, make as much noise as we can for a long period of time, and see what happens. See and if I, there's any moments that pop through you can that you could then, like, hey, what about that? Let's go focus right yeah. in on that little moment that happened. Mm-hmm either use it directly. Usually that's what we do. We use that moment directly and shape around it. And like, you know, but this, this album was definitely a lot more, there was more playing. We, we entered with a lot more intention on a number of levels with this, this record, yeah. the, the newest record. And more of the touring band than ever before too. Yep. Which was a, a, a great, great addition. Yeah. But I think, um, Sonically, we I think we've kind of quietly made an active choice to not mess with his voice as much as we had previously. We knew I think that we were going to focus on the lyric content more than we ever have. Um, not that we weren't saying something before, or that Justin wasn't saying something. Is that we wanted it to be heard and we wanted it to be maybe clearer than it ever had been. Yeah. And so I think with those may have been the two most like sort of unspoken decisions for this record yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. but we were all aligned on that and everything else just came so much easier came and to us yeah yeah it was so much more i don't know just free and easy yeah. it was great nice <laughs> yeah. yeah maybe that'll be it's it sounds like that can be going forward it sounds like there's that a, could be our job <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. You, i think it was a huge realization with with this with finishing this record as not as quickly but so much faster than the previous one yes that we were just like Oh, this is what it can be all the time. Brad, Brad Cook and I talked about. I mean, all three of us did, but yeah. Brad and I talked about that a lot. Of just like this is what yeah, the we break, can make like it every time. Bre- there was a breakthrough. Yeah, yeah. Uh, this is all we got to do every time. It's yeah. great. Did you record many more than the songs that are on the album, or are the songs on the album pretty much it? That's pretty much it. Is it usually that way? Yeah, I think we pretty pretty early on know whether something's going to get chased down further or not. So I we see. still have like fragments that we'll probably revisit and a year or something but from I don't then. know yeah I'm not sure I'm not I don't have this feeling like there's like great songs waiting for no. us we sort of like worked on what we worked on what was the thought on the title by the way man it's uh it's very it's really a lot about this whole self-care and and caring about your friend thing it's to me it's that's this the thing that Bob Marley introduced me to when I was a kid is this I and I it's I and I. It's we. You are me. I am you. Yeah. Uh, this is all of us kind of thing together. This this sort of responsibility to one another. Maybe responsibility isn't even strong enough a word. It's like we are connected. It's not just like we choose to be or not. When we hurt ourselves, I feel like it has a re- reaction to others. And so that 
that was my whole thing is just like Marley vibes, Rastafarian vibes. Like it, uh, we are responsible for, for one another. It is a line that no, no branches of a tree are so foolish that they would fight with another branch on the tree. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. (laughs) Wait, there's something wrong with the system. Well, I thought that this was half a love Well, I thought that this was half a love Well, I thought that this was half Yeah, we, we recorded uh, we recorded this live with a little uh, orchestra, I guess, or we called it the Worm Crew. An ensemble. An ensemble of yeah. bizarre kind of connected harmonica, two saxophones and two trombones and violin. Created some challenges sonically, but it was fun to play an entire... play an entire song with an ensemble live especially one that was out of meter yeah so i mean rob the arranger that i always love working with rob moose he i'd been showing him this riff for years and i was always expecting that i'd write another portion of the song or something like that but then the end of the day i was like we just got to try this idea because i always thought it'd be so fun to improvise with like a small conducted ensemble yeah and so he wrote really cool arrangements around the guitar section and then we sort of just dressed it up a little bit so there's obviously like overdubs and stuff but yeah the most of it's just guitar and the the ensemble and the vocal we did live too that added vocals to it but so it started guitar and vocal guitar vocal and the ensemble all at once and then when when did the lyrics come in the process of writing like I think I had this guitar riff laying around for like years. Yeah. And it was always just, I thought this was half a love, thought that this was half a love, uh, follow to the raging sea. That's all it ever was. And so Brad was just like, why don't you just consider that's a, that's a song. You can have a, you can have a three, two line song. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So, uh, accepted that. And it's just like, Oh, I love this. Okay, great. Yeah. (laughs) Um, yeah, that's kind of the story with that one it's just like sometimes it's enough just to have a small little idea absolutely yeah yeah sometimes it's all it wants to be yeah uh, if you try to force it you're what what are you doing cool pick another one or do you want to see the list oh uh, sure let me think here uh sure can you see it <laughs> i can't see it uh man like you is pretty good i like man like you yeah, let's try that one I will see you off now down the back of the ridge. There's just something that I got to show you. There is no Miranda's ride in the common case. It ain't nothing what you say is true. With your long arms trapped and just give some time, prison. 
Big story with this one is that Bruce Hornsby, it's Bruce Bruce's track. Like, really, he just wrote. He just had. He came up. We were helping him with his record, and he just had this piano figure. He had it on a burned CD. He brought over and was like, we had "What no is way that?" To play it. Yeah, I was like, well, first of all, we have to buy a CD player now." Um, <laughs> uh, but he just played a bunch of this kind of music that he'd been working on. I was like, "What is that track doing?" Because it was one of those moments where. I was like, I almost heard the entire melody. Just like I went in there and just like it was just there. Yeah. Um, and had I not been a little more open and and like not so like I better be the guy to write all these songs, um, I might not have had that feeling. But it felt so good just to jump on, and it's just a mood that I couldn't have come up with. Yeah. Uh, and it feels so fun to to sing on. Me and Brad did so much bass playing on the album. You know, he's he's predominantly a bass player. I'm kind of a cute bass player. Um, acute. Acute and cute. Uh, but so we do a lot of playing bass in the album where I would play it and then he'd be like, I, I can do better. or And then I can be like, ooh, I liked what you did there, but I'll kick your ass. You know? <laughs> uh, so we did a lot of that on the on the album. I don't know. I haven't heard these. I haven't heard the jam since we uh, actually have uh, played all these shows. It's kind of interesting. Um, do they transform live? They have transformed a lot live. You know, the, our our band is awesome. Yeah. I just love playing with each other. They, they they ultimately feel more alive. I mean, they're literally living. And I love, I like records that have scrapes and, you know, they don't, I like records that sound very hi-fi as well. Um, but uh, with our records, I've sort of always tried to keep it a little dusty or a little, uh, got some nicks and, Nick's in there. How but many people are in the band live now? It's six now. And we've, we've waxed and waned on that. We've had, last year we had like five trombone dudes from Richmond, Virginia traveling <laughs> with us. That was a lot. Uh, they're Our amazing trombones. dudes. Uh, what do we call them? Bone. Oh, trombone Paradise. Trombone Paradise. That's right. Uh, but now, now it's uh, a lot of the same dudes that have been in there a really long time. And then we added this lady, Jen Wozner, who has this band, Why Oak. And she is a monster, um, having another high voice, a higher voice, and she's also a crushing profit player, as guitar player and bass player as well. So she, it's been it's been really fun. And the songs they just they just live and breathe. You're playing them rather than like pressing play on them. You know what I mean? I think we're staying truer to the record with the most recent songs than we did with Twenty Two Million. I mean, those really. We tried to. Those took on a whole new life live. Mm-hmm. It's that are it's great, but I think with these, yeah, they they definitely live and breathe. But we're we're staying closer to the record. It also makes sense that you said there's more playing on the record too. So it makes sense to yeah, exactly the same people played it on the record and now yeah. they're playing it live. It's makes sense. Yeah, totally. absolutely. The, not, in, the, not interpolating. The, yeah, the the picking and choosing with only having six people is like okay. Well, you we can't. We just physically can't play that part because we yeah. don't we don't have any tracks or anything like yeah, that. Yeah, live. Yeah. So making those choices is always like okay. What's the most essential moment? Or can you play this one moment on guitar, but then do the rest of it over here? You know, making those choices is, has been really fun. I think this time. Yeah. I don't know what else to play. 
What, what else? It's hard to play about? Rick Rubin, your record, man. <laughs> when we come back, Justin Vernon talks to Rick about some of his favorite music. We're back with more from Bon Iver. What would you say is the most fun part of the entire process in this band or th- project? Mm-hmm. What's your m- favorite part of it? Uh, that's a great question. I, lately, it's been, if not all the whole time, is when we have a piece of music that we can play that that drifts, that is really alive, that we don't have to follow follow the grid, or or we don't use to click tracks or tracks really, but especially you know, there's a couple songs that we're playing live now from this record where it's like, wow, we're really it's really a push and pull thing. There's really a lot of group improvisation going on, group listening, group reacting. And uh, I really enjoy that because it, on one hand, I've got this feeling like I love a song. I love a good folk song that lets you know kind of who he is yeah. uh, right away. But I also love Coltrane and I, you know, music that, that just makes you feel strange. Yeah. I like the combination of those two comforts. Yeah. Uh, the feeling strange and the feeling comfortable. And what, what do you listen to mostly? I mean, I bounce around a lot. I, I'll, I do listen to everything. We grew up, I grew up listening and studying jazz in school and stuff. Oh, cool. And so um, I was just exposed to a lot. My parents are musical folks. And so what would be the music like growing up in the house? What would your parents play? John Prine was probably was number one. Um, and matter of fact, he's probably like the, he's the backbone of our spiritual philosophy as a family, I, I guess I would say. Um, that, that, that was the, he was the main one. I think you could distill all other listening vis-a-vis John Prine. And did you, did you extend from John Prine into others, like in the singer-songwriter world? Was that? Yeah, did- Dylan came pretty, pretty close after uh, um, and still, still very central you know my understanding of the of the craft of like writing a song on the guitar you know um that whole tradition so in both cases would it be a lyric centric draw started out that way i think i think once when i saw how complete a song could be with such little lyricism when i when i with john prine especially yeah you know compared to dylan or something um but kind of right after that i always liked a good lyric um but it's you know that would have been when i was like you know 11 12 when i actually get my own discman and listen to john prine on my own you know so did you start writing songs as a kid i did yeah um write it like when i was 12 or 13 i'd write little songs about like my friends at camp or (laughs) stuff like that it's just something that came pretty naturally to me cool would you call them like it would you call them folk songs yeah, I, I don't know. I think I was probably listening to like Pearl Jam and Nirvana, so I was probably just like, oh, these are just songs, man. Yeah. I don't know what I was thinking, yeah. actually. Yeah. Oh, if you would describe them now, what would you say they were rooted in? Would they be like a Pearl Jam song played on acoustic guitar? Yeah, I think they're probably, <laughs> they're probably the early days more prime, more okay. just three chords in the truth kind of yeah, situation. Yeah, yeah. But then shortly, you know, then eventually you get into alternate tunings and then you're yeah. listening to Joni Mitchell yeah. and... Um, then it gets a little farther out. Who would you say would be the singers that inspire you or excite you? There's always three that I think of. My my first favorite was was Amy Ray from Indigo Girls. 
she she had this there's this folk thing going on in that their group in songwriting but she was yelling a lot and like there's this fever that was just so connected to her spirit and what she was trying to communicate in her songs uh was she still communicating in her songs um and that that sort of unbridled yelling and and, and sort of like this when you lose it yeah can you think uh, of a good example because i'd love to hear uh, um i can i can pull it up for you and you can look oh yeah my favorite song of all time is called Fugitive. That's like my number one song. That's Indigo Girls. And maybe maybe that's not her yelling, but she's definitely like pushing her voice and it's Let's listen to it. Yeah, cool. It's my number number one favorite song of all time. They played that in Missoula, right? Yeah. It, I mean, brought, I, it brought you to your knees. I mean, I literally had to sit down. <laughs> it's true. You came there stumbling my- <laughs> back there. You're just like, I can't believe this just happened. Yeah. This is my favorite song, my favorite album, I think. Love the drum beat on this song too. It's never on two and the snare's never on two and four, and yet it's just like, oh yeah, folk album or or whatever. It's it's just a fantastic song. I'm harboring a fugitive, a defector of a kind, and she lives in my soul. Drinks of my wine and I give my last breath to keep us alive. Are they coming for us? Cameras or guns? We don't know which, but we gotta run. And you say this is not what I bargained for. We go to the end of the world But I got caught up in the world Twirl of it all A day in the sun Dancing alone Baby, I'm so sorry Now it's coming to you The lessons I've learned Won't do you any good you got to get burned Well, the curse and the blessing They're one and the same Treacherous gain, hide yourself for me. I said, hide yourself for me. For me. I 
sun I was aching with freedom and kissing the damned I said I remember, remember this, this how it should be We are fortunate ones, I swear. I, I just when I was twelve, like my mom and sister got me into them, and I think I was like, "So, mom, they're they're gay," you know, like, and then just realizing they have all these problems because of that, and, and like, okay, I, I, for some reason, I was just like, "Well, this is wrong that they that they have issues," you know, like I don't understand, uh, and then that gave me more of my. Uh, adored them more and more and more the more they had strength in the face of their adversity and that but they never became bitter they they would have feelings about it i don't know they're just they're they're my favorite group um ever uh and emily's the harmony the other singer she writes other the other songs too i mean they're both just together it's it's like my favorite shit but donny hathaway and, and bonnie raid are probably my other two just like as far as soul yeah the thing that moved me most was after the first sort of rockin' part, it drops down into a very intim unexpected, intimate moment. Mm -hmm. Just for a moment. Yeah. But it got real. Yeah, you got know, really real. really got real. Yeah. And um, it's a good feeling. Yeah, that's the feeling, man. That's it's the feeling, feeling like, I mean, I tattooed those lyrics on my chest for a reason. It's like, wow. this is what I want to be carrying around. That's the feeling. When she, when we get to that verse, you're like you're exposed from all this yelling and this guitar solo and this orchestration and then it all goes away you're just back to this place where it's like we need to we learn need to learn how to respect what we don't understand we are fortunate ones we are fortunate ones i swear it's just like the best thing you can say it's like we don't know anything and we have to try to learn and we have to understand that how lucky we are beautiful that's that's why it's my favorite song but yeah it's it's a uh, displaying intimacy and 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 vulnerability is a really important part of communicating as a human being and as a musician or songwriter. It's like you have to be able to be like, yes, I am. I feel awful, or yes, I I am scared. You know, I think those are such valuable things and are valuable assets to ourselves. The vulnerability, you know, it's beautiful. Mm. That was Justin Vernon of Boney Bear and his producer Chris Messina in conversation with Rick Rubin from Shangri-La Studios in Malibu. The new record, I, I, is up for Album of the Year at the Grammys. 
You can stream it using the Spotify playlist we put together for this episode at brokenrecordpodcast.com. You can also sign up for a behind-the-scenes newsletter while you're there. Broken Record is produced with help from Jason Gambrell, Mila Bell, and Leah Rose. Our theme music is by Kenny Beats. Stay tuned for next week's episodes. Brittany Howard and Andre 3000. Thanks for listening. Yeah.